Race matters. 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 Welcome back and hello to another deadly show of Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan and joining us in the studios today we have Damien Griffiths. But before we begin, it's very important as always that we acknowledge these beautiful lands that we stand on today and they are the lands of the Gadigal people. The Gadigal Gadigal people have been a part of this land for 80,000 years before us and they are still here today and will be here after us as well. It doesn't matter where you go on these lands, it doesn't matter how many tall buildings you see, it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. So we are always very grateful to be able to stand on these lands and share this space with the homes of the Gadigal people. And so we'd like to acknowledge their elders, both past, present and any emerging future listeners here on the show with us today. So if you are joining us for the first time, Race Matters is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways that we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan and on the show with us today, we are joined by Damien Griffiths. Damien is a descendant of the Waramai people of the Manning of sorry, of the Manning Valley in New South Wales. He is a leading advocate for the human rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with disability. Damien has been a central figure in the establishment of both the Aboriginal Disability Network of New South Wales and the national organisation representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disabilities and their families. And that's called the First People's Disability Network of Australia. So he's speaking at Antidote Festival this weekend. It's a festival of ideas, action and change taking place at the Sydney Opera House. So we'll have more details about where you can catch him later on the show. So we're very excited to have big yarns with him. But before that, though, I'd like to talk pre- um, briefly about what's currently happening in Victoria on the lands of the Japarong people. The sacred trees of their lands are about to be knocked down to be able to build a new highway by, by Victoria Roads. And some of these trees are over 800 years old and they're also birthing trees too, so significantly sacred women's business where over 10,000 Japarong babies have been born. So generations of First Nations people have physically come out of these trees. And protests have been happening there for over a year now, but um, nearly 14 days ago, the protest site was given an eviction notice of two weeks. So they're nearing the end of the eviction notice. So as many numbers as they can get or gain down there would be better. They need power and people at the moment. So especially last night, um, overnight at the camp, someone maliciously tried to burn down one of the trees. So I really, really push you to attend this site. And if you cannot attend this site, please ring up um, the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, or the Victoria Planning Minister, Richard Wine, or Victoria Transport Minister, Jacinta Allen. You can also, there's a direct line for Victoria Roads called 1300 779 642, where you can ring up and express your 
your outrage, concern and protest at what is about to happen. Uh, also keep in mind as well that they will say back to you that they have protected the trees, saved the trees, they're not knocking down those trees. Yes, there are a couple of trees that will not be knocked down due to this alternative route, but it does not mean that other trees will not be knocked down in the process. There is still a great significant portion of Japarong land and over a thousand trees, sacred trees that will be knocked down on this planned alternative route. Japarong people have also um, proposed back to the Victorian roads um, another planned route that would not desecrate desecrate any land and it will also cost less money as well. That's been rejected. So just keep in mind when you call up, they'll tell you that they've saved these trees. It doesn't, it's it's not true. It's only a couple of trees that will not get knocked down. There is still a significant portion of Japarong land, sacred land and sacred trees and history that will still be ploughed and knocked down um, if this goes ahead. And also, if you're in the Victorian area, if you're in Victoria, if you're in the area, you can um, go to the Japarong Embassy website. We'll post this up onto our pages later as well. Um, the location and directions to the campsite is there. It's about a two-hour drive west of Melbourne by train and bus. It's about two-and-a-half-hour um, train or bus ride from Melbourne to Ararat Station. Um, on the website, they tell you what you need to bring at the camp. Everyone is very welcome. Like I said, there is power in number, numbers, people. So please, please... If you are able to go to this site, they need you in the next couple of days um, more crucially now than ever before. So I really, really encourage people in those areas to go down there. It's really, really hard for a lot of us First Nations mob in areas where we're not um, able to show our assistance. Um, it's really quite heartbreaking for a lot of us up in these other neighbouring nations as well when we don't have the resources to get down there. So if you do, then please go. Power and numbers, peoples, I'm telling you. Um, and we'll put the link up onto the Facebook page, onto our socials as well after this, so you can get further information about where to go. Um, but before we put those all up there, sorry, I'm a little bit out of breath now from that, but it's very important that we as broadcasters shout out these grassroots initiatives that are happening because otherwise no media outlet will share these stories out and this is our responsibility as Race Matters. So before we come on, bring into the studio with us, Damon Griffiths, we are going to turn to A Dreaming Now with Ancestors. You are listening to Race Matters on FBR Radio. Ancestors in the land amidst every 
child, woman, a man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. Seems the world lost its mind like a sleep deprived. People not peeping signs of the symbols divine. Carvings in stone, sacred piles, ancient truths, and the workings of the grounds. The creeks and the rivers, forests with snakes liver. Calls deliver all truths and lost diction. The fox holy halo crystallize and glisten. Now replaced with street names, uni written. Smiles line space, comfortable and smitten. Roads and avenues, central business district, spiritual lassitude. Laws of metaphysics overtaken by the laws of these long lost mystics. Preceded the present, new type of linguistics causing nations conflicted. Seemingly cryptic, but confusion running rampant, but deeply intrinsic devastation dipped in. Severed to the ancient rocks, vaporized out of sight on a soon-to-be broken-down plot. Omens I can peer, seeping into sight. Time to awaken, pay respect. The ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman, and man, no matter where you stand. Ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. The ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman, a man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. That was Dreaming Now with Ancestors. Welcome back to Race Matters. In the studio with me right now is Waramai Man, Damien Griffiths. He is a leading advocate for the human rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with disability in a, and a central figure in the establishment of both the Aboriginal Disability Network and the First Peoples Disability Network. Thank you so much for joining us, Damien. Thanks for having me. So how did your work in advocating for First Nations people living with disability begin? Well, that's a great question. So um, as the CEO of the First People's Disability Network, firstly, it's a great honour to be a CEO of that organisation, but we can trace our beginnings back to a gathering of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disability that was held in Alice Springs way back in 1999, actually. Wow. And at that gathering, every state and territory sent a male and female Aboriginal person with disability. And one of the recommendations was for people to go back to their states and set up state-based networks of and for Aboriginal people with disability, so to sort of be a voice for Aboriginal people with disability. So in 2002, myself and Uncle Lester Bostock, Bunjalung Elder, um, my mentor, a man that I miss uh, every day, uh, we established the New South Wales Network. Um, weren't funded for a long time, um, but we got a... Uh, some grants from the private sector. We went around New South Wales, talked with Aboriginal people with disability themselves, didn't talk to the service system. We wanted to hear people's stories. Mm -hmm. um, and you would know, as you can imagine, that raised, raised a whole lot of issues that had never really been aired before. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2010 when we got a national body going again. Other states hadn't sort of moved forward, but we established the first People's Disability Network back in 2010. Well, so... It always also shows as well how you guys worked within a different model. You took a totally different approach as well by going and actually talking to mob on the ground and listening to their stories. And I'm sure that they would have kind of felt massively validated by that as well because for so long you could imagine their concerns of how they would have resources provided to them was kind of um, different because, you know, they're not 
they have to be treated differently because of the fact that they're First Nations, there are different things involved in that. So the First Persons Disability Network says that it works within like a social model of disability. Can you explain how a social model works differently or more consciously of people living with a disability? Yeah, that's a great question. So historically in Australia, there was disability was sort of formed around what's called the medical model of disability. The medical model in a really simple form more or less says that there's something wrong with a person with disability and we need to try and cure them. Most disability is permanent, so it can't be cured, so it's a bit of a nonsense. So medical model is what the English bought, actually. They, uh, the idea of locking people away, you know, institutionalising people. That's a very medical model. In fact, it wasn't long after the English were here, they very quickly built asylums and things like that. So the idea of locking people up was very much in the DNA, really, uh, of, the, of, of, of Australia as a nation in a lot of ways. Social model says, put simply, says it's society that creates the barriers for people with disability. So, mm. and we see evidence of that everywhere, all around us. Even Redfern Station's a good example up the road. Uh, it's only, I think it's still, it's only got one accessible train platform and I think that comes from the eastern suburbs. So um, huh. if you're coming from western Sydney, where most people, with dis- a lot of people with disability live because mm-hmm. it's um, more affordable, how do you get to Redfern, how do you get off the train at Redfern, which is one of the busiest train stations in, the, in, in Sydney? So the, the social model, uh, disability activists will say um, disability rights is a form of apartheid. So if you take the definition of apartheid to mean to live apart, you can see how you can draw that pretty quickly because in a lot of ways, society's actively tried to lock people with disability out. And one of the ways you do that is you make the environment inaccessible. You know, you can't get around, for example. Yeah, and it's um, very easy for able-bodied people to forget about their own privilege when it comes to access and yeah. things like that. That privilege, that's another privilege that a lot of people don't um, kind of consider within themselves. I definitely don't as well. Like, I'm able-bodied and it's a massive privilege to be to even be able to just walk straight into a facility and not have to require some sort of extra mm. assistance there. And there's also a misconception as well of how disadvantage has intersection when race is involved. So gender, economic, social, education, health issues, these all impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people differently. So how does the First Peoples Disability Network recognise these intersections and provide those services differently? Yeah, that's exactly what we spend a lot of time doing. So in a lot of ways, our organisation is in a way an intersectional organisation because we're about Aboriginal rights and the rights of Aboriginal people with disability. So, And you add in gender, age, any number of sexuality and in a number of other factors, you've got more intersections. Mm -hmm. The problem, as you would know, is the system does not know how to deal with intersectionality. Doesn't know. How, doesn't know how to support um, people that have multiple disadvantages. So, bizarrely, under Australian discrimination law, you, you, for example, have to pick your discrimination. So you have to sort of say, "Oh, I was racially discriminated against," or "I was disability discrimination mm-hmm. against." You actually can't claim both, which is kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. So, so the way we see it played out, probably at, at its worst at the moment, would be in relation to prisons. So very high rates of disability in the Aboriginal prison population. So if you're an Aboriginal person, particularly with mental illness, you often end up in the back of a paddy wagon, particularly if you're in regional remote Australia, uh, and and our prisons are full of people with disability, be they Aboriginal or not. Um, People with mental illness, people with borderline cognitive impairments, brain injury, fetal alcohol, for example. Uh, And then they're full of Aboriginal people also, of course, and then Aboriginal people have both disadvantages going on the system doesn't know what to do about that it's confused by that 
Do you think that also lends into our deaths in custody numbers as well? Because there are so many health concerns that impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people differently. And so because that's criminalised on top of that, that would feed into so many of our deaths in custody, people living like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with disabilities that are wrongly incarcerated? I think that's a great question. And I, I think one of the criticisms we would have of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody way back when is it didn't have a strong focus on disability. And that was simply because there really wasn't a strong voice around there. It's not a criticism necessarily, but um, absolutely. If you're a person with cognitive impairment, if you're an Aboriginal person with mental illness and you're in that environment yep. and you're not getting supported for your disability, yes, the consequences would often end up that way. So I think we need to focus on Aboriginal deaths in custody also from a disability perspective. I think that's a great question. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for lending your voice to this very important conversation. It's not something we've had on Race Matters before. We're going to go to a song right now. Can you tell us about the song that you picked and why you picked it? Yeah, I've picked Blackfella, Whitefella, Rival Rumpy Band. I think it's just a great song. Stands the test of time. One of my favourites. It's yeah, awesome. too deadly. You'll listen to Race Matters.
Welcome back to Race Matters. I'm Sarah Khan and I'm joined in the studio today with Warramai man Damien Griffiths, a powerful advocate for First Nations people living with disability. So you'll be speaking on a panel this Sunday at the Antidote Festival regarding the economics of disability. What are some of the key things you're hoping to communicate at this event? Yeah, um, one of the things that I'll be definitely keen to talk about is probably critique the National Disability Insurance Scheme a bit. Mm. Um, you know, in principle, we believe in it, but it's increasingly going back to a medical model that we talked about before. Yeah. You know, it requires people to get a diagnosis. And for Aboriginal people, this is very challenging. So just came back from uh, from Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley, and the story we heard there was people needing $7,500 for a diagnosis, for example, which is ridiculous. So how do you get that diagnosis to get in the scheme in the first place? also think it's a bit about... You know, it's that lifters and leaners stuff that goes on sometimes. So um, if you're considered to be someone who's not uh, able to contribute to the economy, then you often are an outsider, you know, in a lot of ways. And the history of the disability rights movement, when things went backwards for people with disability, a lot of ways was with the Industrial Revolution, which is all about people had to be economic and productive and all this sort of stuff. So, And in Aboriginal Australia, the really interesting thing is we don't have a word for disability. So in traditional language, there was no word for disability. It's come as you are, accepted as part of the human experience. And I'm really anxious to tell that story because we would say we're the leaders on inclusion. A hundred percent, hundred percent. We had no um, discrimination against gender, sexual orientation, age, things like that. And especially when it came to um, ableism as well. So... We are 110% the leaders in terms of understanding how to provide adequate resources to our own people on First Nations people living with disabilities and doing it the cultural way, doing it the conscious way and doing it in a way that's in a like you, like you guys are doing in a social model, which I really, really think is it's really exciting to have you on this show to discuss something like this because I don't think enough people think in terms of the models and the systems that we work within. Um, which kind of leads to this next question here. Um, how do you hope to further the narratives of First Nations people living with a disability? So we, we, we're building a social movement um, and we're very unique because our organisation is governed by Aboriginal people who have disability themselves. So every one of our board members has a disability. Mm -hmm. So they have um, ranging from brain injury to intellectual disability to physical disability. And most of our staff, we're not big, there's only six of us, but most of our staff either have a disability themselves or a very close connection to it. So no, no one knows better their own experience than, than an Aboriginal person with disability. So I've been working in disability since I left school, so 30 years or whatever it is, and I'm still learning all the time. Mm. I mean, I, I saw deaf-blind communication recently, so that was touch signing, yeah. which was amazing, you know? So, um, and... A person who doesn't have vision, for example, doesn't doesn't is blind. They know what it's like to be blind. Mm -hmm. We can close our eyes for five minutes and maybe imagine it, but no one knows it like themselves. So self determination is a big part of it too, you know. So excellent, that's brilliant. And this is our favourite question of the show now. When did you realise your race made you powerful? Wow, that's a great question. So I grew up in a family, like a lot of families, that didn't talk about our connections, didn't talk about where we were from. 
Um, and that has been a great personal struggle for me. Um, I suffered from a lot of anxiety in my 20s, mm. um, which is a very common experience for Aboriginal people. I think it's pretty unusual if you haven't experienced anxiety or depression or something. So I was very confused about who I was. Um, and it wasn't until I had the mentorship of Uncle Lester Bostock who, um, who showed me the way in so many ways. He was an incredible human being, a very dignified man, a very humble man. He also had disability. And he was a real leader in developing Aboriginal media and all kinds of stuff. I just spent a lot of time with him um, and I was really lucky to know him for 20 years and he showed me, he taught me a lot. And um, yeah, he's an, he, he was just a calming, confident, humble, powerful warrior really. So I, I tried to learn from him. Too deadly. Thank you so much for um, joining us, Damien. It's been a real privilege to have your voice on this show and to share the voices, many voices, unheard voices of our First Nations people that are living with disability and, you know, the narratives that of theirs that need to be pushed further and, this, and understanding the systems that we live under and how it affects people differently as well. So I really thank you so much for coming on to the show with us. You can join, you can catch Damien actually speaking this Sunday at the Antidote Festival on a panel called The Economics of Disability. So make sure you grab a ticket from sydneyoperahouse.com. That is all for Race Matters Asavo. And also make sure that um, you check onto our socials later as well as we will share further information about how you can contribute or how you can attend the current protests happening down at the Japarong protest site. That's all for Race Matters today. I'm Sada Khan and this is Philly with Brown Skin. Melon the poppin' no stoppin' your flight Black queen, no question, no doubt in your highness You're a beautiful bee In your beautiful brown skin Melon the poppin' no stoppin' your flight Black queen, no question, no doubt in your highness You're a beautiful bee In your beautiful brown skin Hey, hello queen with that brown skin In that deep mind that I could drown in Honestly, I loved hearing all your poetry. I really paid attention even though the flow was free. She likes listening to Lauren Hill. They're killing me softly. Be bumping from Lauren still. If I rule the world, everything is everything. Watch how sister act when you play that thing. She's so real, yet so chill. Don't care about material things, no big deal. She's strong, intelligent, bronzed in excellence. A touch of elegance and no my, she's a black queen. Melon the poppin', no stoppin' your flyness. Black queen, no question, no doubt in your highness. You're a beautiful bee in your beautiful brown skin. Melon the poppin', no stoppin' your flyness. Black queen, no question, no doubt in your highness. You're a beautiful bee in your beautiful brown skin. Yeah. There's something special about a black woman. There's nothing stronger than a black woman. Big love to water queens that I've had in my life. Even through the darkest nights, you always show me the light. They let me know we have to really praise our sisters. This sexist world we're living is the man and their resistance. So brothers, let's be better and make sure to love our women till forever. Now keep your head up and go ahead, queen, go ahead. Hey, God is a black woman, damn right she's strong, intelligent, bronzed in excellence, a touch of elegance, and no more, she's a black queen. Let all insecurities fall and wash them away, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're powerful. 
Race matters. 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 Race matters.